To stay strong, every household needs a spiritual security system that alerts to any invasions. This message is the third in the series, House Builders. The message is entitled, Install a Security System, Part 1. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, if you will, your teaching sheets as we get ready to study God's Word tonight. We're involved in a series of messages called House Builders. I want to talk to you this weekend and next weekend about a very important part of this whole idea of building your house. We're going to talk about how do you install a security system. I would imagine in most of our homes now that you have some kind of security system. It might be uh, something very simple. It might be something very elaborate. But generally, in today's culture, we have things we put in our home just to sort of help us watch out over our possessions and over our house. And so I want to talk to you about a spiritual element of that as we're talking about building our house. Your house, according to Scripture, is a very broad term. It involves your life and it involves everything that you're building. Every part of your life and your family and your work, all this is represented by the word house in the Bible. And God is very interested in what happens in your house. God is concerned about you as the house or the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is concerned about your family, your household environment, as that environment where God works in your home. God is concerned about your business environments, whatever, wherever you work. God is concerned about your house. He wants to bless your house, and He wants to build your house. For that to happen effectively, you and I need to realize some things. I'm going to share with you two things tonight about this idea of building a security system in your home from a spiritual standpoint that will help us to actually see our houses built the way God desires every part of our lives. The first thing that I want to remind you of this evening is a very important reminder. It's something that we need to consistently be brought back to understand, and that's that spiritual enemies are targeting every household here tonight. They're actually spiritual enemies that are designed to wreak havoc in your home, to wreak havoc in you as an individual and in your household. And from the beginning of time, actually by the time we get into the third chapter of the first book of the Bible, we see the enemy showing up targeting a household. You begin to read in chapters 2 and 3 and 4 of Genesis, you'll begin to see that there's a strategy that unfolds of the destruction of a house, the house of Adam and Eve, the very first couple, the very first people on the planet. God said, I've established you as a household, and immediately there was an attack against it. Let me take you uh, to the scriptures here in just a moment. I'm going to share with you three kinds of attacks that Adam and Eve experience and how they relate to us as well. The first thing is representative of an external spiritual attack. All of us in houses tonight, our own house, our family, our individual lives, we are targeted by an external enemy, not one that is in us, but one is outside of us, external. That external enemy is in, exists in the, in the invisible world, but nevertheless a very real world. I think a lot of times we don't recognize that the invisible world is just as real as the visible world. Actually, it's more real than the visible world because the invisible world made the visible world. And so we recognize that there's an invisible force that's external to us that is targeting us in some way. Adam and Eve experienced this in Genesis chapter 3, notice verse number 1. Now the serpent, everyone say the serpent. serpent. Now the serpent, here's the, the, the focus here, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, that's Eve, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? 
By the time we get to the third chapter of the book of Genesis, after God had established this marriage relationship between Adam and Eve, man and woman had come together to form this marriage covenant before God, that right after this, the next, the next chapter takes us to this story of someone external, something external showing up in the garden identified as the serpent. There was this temptation that comes through this, this appeal to Eve and to Adam as well. Did God really say that you're to live your life this way? Did God really say that you should not eat, of any, of eat from any tree in the garden? Well, God never said that they could not eat from any tree in the garden. God said you can only eat from, you can eat from all the trees of the garden except one. And so he's already twisting God's word. So there was a temptation that came. I want you to note that you and your life individually, the house that you are, your personal life, there are external forces, spiritual forces that will tempt you to doubt God and tempt you to trust his word. And very easily you can be pulled astray by those temptations as Adam and Eve were, we'll see it in just a moment. It also comes to your household because not only was this an attack against Adam and Eve individually, it was an attack against their marriage, it was an attack against their family, it was, a, it was an attack against their household. So there's this external thing, this enemy that wants to come against you, your household, your family, that you must be aware of. Then there's the second element of this that is so vital to understand, because the second part really is what links us to this first external attack, and that's wrong personal decisions. You know, Satan has no power over you unless you yield to him. Satan has no power. In fact, many times people get all concerned about Satan in their life and worry about uh, how he's going to attack them. But you have to realize, while indeed he is a dark force, and we'll see in a moment, indeed a powerful force of darkness, we don't have to be concerned about him overwhelming us if we make the right choices along with God's power at work within us. And so all of this relates to the power of God by the choices that you make in life. Unfortunately, what happened here in this story is that not only did there, was there this external attack from the serpent, but Adam and Eve made a very bad decision, a personal decision. Notice again what happens here in verse number two. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw, notice this, saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Notice that this was not something forced upon her. There was a temptation there, but she made the choice to reach out and take what the enemy was, was, was putting on her plate. She took it. She embraced it. She bought into it. She has responsibility. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves." Both Adam and Eve had now responsibility. You cannot take responsibility away from Adam and Eve. They chose to do what the serpent suggested that they do. So you have an external force. In any temptation, there's always an external force. God does not tempt anyone. But there are evil forces, spirits of darkness, the devil himself who would like to lure you in and get a hold of your household, but it never works until you yield, you, you take responsibility to what he's inviting you to do. That's where now temptation has become sin. 
And then following this, there's an incredible thing that happens, we're gonna see here in just a moment, of what I would call moral, spiritual, emotional, relational brokenness that happens. Anytime Satan suggests something to you and you listen and obey Satan instead of God, I promise the end result will never be good. It will never be good. It will always result in some kind of spiritual brokenness and emotional brokenness and relationship brokenness. And it happened here for Adam and Eve as well. I'm not going to read you the story, but you can read it yourself in Genesis chapter 3 as it continues there to unfold. It's a story of after Adam and Eve now have partaken of the tree and God now shows up on the scene. They start blaming one another and blaming the serpent. And now there's fear in the relationship. It's all going downhill. And ultimately, it leads to the 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 the, the culminating moment in the fourth chapter when their very own children are affected by it, when Cain kills Abel. So you see that the enemy got a hold of a house, did he not? The enemy got a hold of a household. He got a hold of some people, but he got a hold of a family as well. And that same kind of strategy is employed by the adversary today. He shows up on the scene. He tries to get into your house in some way through tempting words, tempting situations. And then out of that tempting word or tempting situation, you and I sometimes make the wrong choice and respond to it. And anytime that happens, there is a, there's a negative cycle that begins. There's brokenness that happens spiritually, yes, certainly, but also emotionally and psychologically and relationally. Things go south when Satan gets an advantage in your life by your cooperation with him. But I want you to understand this tonight. Your house is under attack. I want to say that again because I hope it'll be very sobering for you, not to scare you, not to frighten you, but to bring you to a sobriety of realizing that you must recognize that in the world in which we live today as believers in Jesus Christ, that your house truly is under attack. Your house is a battlefield. Your house is a place that is not just you individually, your household, every part of your life is under attack. Your house is a battlefield. There are enemies that are coming after you that you need to know how to deal with effectively. In Nehemiah chapter 4, Nehemiah was commissioned by God to return to Jerusalem where the Jews after the exile had been back in Jerusalem for several years now, and, and the walls of Jerusalem had not been rebuilt, and so they were under, they were very vulnerable because there, there were no protective walls around the city. Their houses were not protected. And so Nehemiah is called to go back and lead the children of Israel in the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem because a city without a wall was, was in, very dangerous, in a very dangerous predicament. So Nehemiah goes back, and as soon as he starts trying to get these walls rebuilt, do you happen to remember, any of you who've studied the Old Testament, what happened as soon as Nehemiah started building? He came under attack. Sanballat, Tobiah, many others that rose up against Nehemiah because Nehemiah was about to build some walls that would protect those houses. And so Nehemiah came under attack and the people, the builders came under attack. Let me read for you in Nehemiah chapter four, verse 14, Nehemiah's words. After I looked these things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Those are those enemies coming against them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And what's the next word? Fight for your, say it with me again, fight for your what? Families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes or your houses. He says, you've got to fight for this. You can't stand back passively and let the adversary intimidate you. Know it's time to stand up and fight. I will tell you this, that when the enemy comes in to attack your house, you better be ready to fight. And you need to know how to fight. 
I'm not talking about fighting from a natural perspective as we'll read here in just a moment. I'm talking about knowing how to fight spiritually because if you don't understand how to fight, you passively just let it happen. The enemy will do everything he can to destroy your house. It is real and it is true. Your house is a battlefield. Listen to the apostle Paul, very sobering reminder that he gives us in Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the... Notice that. Take your stand against the devil's scheme. So Paul is treating the devil as a reality, is he not? Take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers in this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, in most of our houses, what ends up happening is instead of fighting the real enemy, we fight one another. We create a human battle. We fight with flesh and blood. A husband's fighting with the wife and the wife with the husband and the, the parents with the children, the children with the parents. We have all this activity of battling going on in the household, but instead of battling the right enemy, we're battling the wrong enemy. The enemy is not flesh and blood. There's an enemy force from outside that extends into our homes to try to bring destruction. Notice Peter's reminder and warning as well in 1 Peter 5 verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Again, Paul treated the devil as a reality, and Peter treats the devil as a reality. I think that if Paul treated the, treated the devil as a reality and Peter treats the devil as a reality, we ought to treat the devil as a reality as well. Amen? It's real. Real enemy forces that will come against us. Jesus took this seriously. Let me take you to Matthew chapter 24. Now, before I get into Matthew 24, I fully understand that Matthew 24 is, is about the second coming of Christ, but in the midst of this, 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 this discourse, it's called the Olivet Discourse. It's, of course, a, a sermon or a teaching that Jesus gives on the Mount of Olives related to his second coming again. But in the midst of this, there's a, there's a little nugget here that I don't want us to miss of what Jesus had to say about your house, okay? Verse 43, but understand this. These are the words of Jesus. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So Jesus said, by the way, he's talking again about his second coming, but there's greater application, I believe, for us. If you knew that a thief was coming to your house tomorrow morning at 3 a.m., and you knew the exact time he sent you a text and said, I will be at your house at 3 a.m. to steal all of your goods, what would you do about 2.50? You'd have all of Montgomery County police right there at your door, wouldn't you, kid? Because if the thief tells you that he's coming into your house, you're going to be prepared for him when he arrives, correct? Okay. Jesus said, you got to know the thief is coming to break into your house. 
We don't know when it's going to happen, and so we can't have the exact moment, but you need to be aware of the reality. I like the phrase that he uses here, that the thief wants to come in and break into your house. The actual original language of this, uh, the Greek language emphasizes the digging in or the digging through, the idea of being back in those days. There were no concrete foundations like we know them. Often houses were built with kind of a muddy kind of substance to it, and so the enemy would just come in and dig a li- away a little bit at the time until he got access. He didn't have to do it all at once. Just digs away a little bit of the time, and before long, he's broken through into your house. He's made his way in. Dear ones, can I remind you, all of us this weekend, something that I have to remind myself of regularly, and I have to remind our family of regularly, I have to remind you of regularly as a faithful pastor. You and I are dealing with enemies of darkness that want to break into our houses. But we don't have to allow that to happen, okay? Because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We have a strategy given to us by God and resources given to us by God that as we see the attack of the adversary, we will know and can know how to properly respond. How do you put up a security system? Because a security system is designed to deter deter these things from happening in your house, right? If you have a security system, chances are you're going to put a sign in your yard and this house is secured by... What I want you to do tonight is just to imagine that you're going to start putting a sign up in your house that says, this house is secured by Jesus Security Agency, okay? you got to begin to see this way because this is how we have to think and this is how we have to live, but we have to back it up with some actions. You can't just say it and expect it to occur. You've got to do some things that actually, that actually activate the security system. You can put the sign out in your yard all day long, but if you don't turn the alarm on when you go to bed at night, it's going to be of no effect for you, right? You've got to activate the system. See, the sign in the yard is not enough. You need the sign in the yard. That's a deterrence for sure, but you need more than that. You need to have a system that is activated and ready to respond when there's a thief trying to get into your house. Same is true spiritually. So how do you protect your house? This is where I'm going to give you one thing tonight. Next weekend, don't miss it. Come back next week. I'm going to give you one more thing that'll be vital to how do you protect your house. Anybody want your security system up in your house, right? Okay. So how do you protect your house? The first thing is that your house needs to have a secure atmosphere. Let me explain that to you in just a moment. I want you to get those, those words down, secure atmosphere. Your house needs a secure atmosphere. House security, house security starts with something that's going on inside the environment of your house. I want you to see that right now, okay? It's not something that is on the perimeter of your house. It's something that is inside your house because what happens in your house matters. And we need to create inside our houses, inside our own lives and inside our homes and families, we need to create what I would call this secure atmosphere, this secure environment, and we need to build something inside of our homes that will protect us on the inside, and that's what I'm going to call this nurturing environment, because if you have an environment in your home that is contrary to a nurturing kind of environment, you're opening the atmosphere to the adversary. I mean, he can walk in 
when you walk in. You don't, he doesn't need to break in. You bring him in. Are you hearing me? Okay. There's a lot of houses that he doesn't even have to break. He just comes in when you show up. Okay. You bring the devil with you. Because he's already at work in your life with your attitudes and with your words and the things you're saying and things you're doing in your house. And so you bring his stuff in with you by this kind of environment that you set that you have a choice to do differently. I hope you're hearing me tonight. Listen to Romans chapter 14, verse 19. Describes this nurturing environment, this secure environment that God wants to build inside our homes. Think about what difference this would make in your house if you lived this way. Several verses we'll look at. Romans 14, 19. So then make it your top priority to live a life of peace with harmony in your relationships. Let me read that again. So then make it your top priority to live a life of peace with harmony in your relationships, eagerly seeking to strengthen and encourage one another. Would that change the tone of your home? Yes. Ephesians 4, 29. And never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth, but instead let your words become beautiful gifts that encourage others. Do this by speaking words of grace to help them. That is those you have interaction with. Would that change the atmosphere of your home? Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. So we're told to encourage and build up. Would that change the atmosphere of your home? Matthew 7.12. Do to others. Why don't you read this one with me? Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. What do we call that? We call that the golden rule. It's not just a nice idea that Jesus philosophically laid out before us. It is the way we are to live. Now, I will tell you, you can do all the praying you want to do. You can do all the declaring you want to do. You can do all the declarations of scripture that you want to do. But if you act like the devil in your home, the devil's going to be in your home. I don't care how many times you try to proclaim a scripture, how much you want to pray. You can do all that great stuff and you ought to do it. But I will promise you at some point in time, you've got to make the choice of living differently in your house. Because if you don't live differently in your house, you're actually opening up through your very behavior, the things that can actually create havoc in your home. I'm preaching good tonight. Okay. No, you don't have to clap. I wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't, wasn't fishing for a clap. That wasn't it. I'm just encouraging myself, okay? <laughs> Proverbs 14, 19. Listen to it again. So then make it your top priority to live a life of peace with harmony in your relationships, eagerly seeking to strengthen and encourage one another. If your house is going to be secure, there must be a secure atmosphere in your house. I'll say that again. If your house is going to be secure, there must be a secure atmosphere. Where? In your house. And that secure atmosphere is an atmosphere of peace. Peace needs to characterize your house. God wants peace in this house, inside of you, okay? 
And God wants peace in your house, in terms of your household. God wants peace in the place where you work. He wants you to be a peacemaker and to live in the atmosphere of peace. He wants you to carry peace with you everywhere you go. See, peace doesn't start out there. Peace starts in here. It has to be in you before it can be around you. If you don't have peace in you, you're never going to have peace in any other relationship. And so it starts inside of you. So how do we create this atmosphere of peace? I'm going to walk you through eight things that will help you to experience an atmosphere of peace and will help liberate you from some of the devil's work in your household right now. If you'll listen to these eight things I'm going to share with you right now, if you'll start practicing them, remember last week we talked about how Jesus said the man who builds his house upon the rock is the man who both hears God's word and does it, right? You tracking with me? Okay. That's why you need to stay with me with all this series. He hears it and he, it's not just enough to hear it, right? Okay. Right? We take it what we're hearing from God's word and we do it. And so I'm going to give you some practical things that you can do starting tonight when you go home in your own life and in your marriage and your family relationships. If you'll do these eight things, you're hearing them now, do them. You'll create, you'll start creating a, you, I, I tell you, some of you are going to have a revival in your house just by doing these eight things. I'm telling you, you are. You're going to have a revival. If you just start doing these eight things, you're going to have a massive transformation. I mean, the devil is going to run from your house because you're practicing these things, okay? Because they're contrary to his nature. The first thing is you've got to, I'm going to give you the word, uh, the, 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 the acronym here for liberate. This is a liberation of your life, a freedom for your life, a freedom for your house. I'm going to give you eight statements related to that L. You need to lean into your relationships, You can't build a relationship if you're not leaning into it. How do you lean into a relationship? You lean into a relationship by by listening. You lean into a relationship by connecting. You you make relationships important in your life. So many times what we're doing in our houses, instead of leaning into relationships, we're leaning away from relationships. Everybody has their own space and everybody has their own world and nobody's sharing anything together. What you and I need to do is we need to begin that process of saying, how can we lean in to one another? Because I found that when I lean into my wife and my wife, wife leans into me and I lean into my kids and my kids lean into me and I lean into my friends and my friends lean into me, then suddenly there's no room for the adversary to have a place in my life. Okay. I'm shutting down that space of misunderstanding. I'm shutting down that space of lack of communication. I'm shutting down that space of anger or resentment that might be building up over something. Why? Because we're leaning into one another. We're not leaning away from one another. We're leaning into one another. Begin to realize this is my friend. I'm not foes here. We're friends and we lean into relationships. How are you doing leaning in? Do you spend more time leaning out or do you spend more time leaning in to the relationships in your life? Next one I improve your relationship skills. Everybody say skills. There's only one way for a skill to get better you have to work on it. And to work on a skill, you have to know what the skills are. And skill relationships are, building relationships is a skill thing. It has some art to it, and some people are better at it than others, but everybody can get better at relationships. You know, you can get better at relationships. You might think, well, I'm not a very relational person. Well, you can get better at relationships. Everybody can get better at it. It's just a skill, okay? It's a skill of learning how to listen when somebody's talking. That when they're talking, you don't have to do this number. 
you can actually, it's called attending, okay? And so they're talking and I'm looking at them and I have contact and so we're having, what that does, that connects, right, okay? That's a skill, okay? A skill of relationship is learning how to feed back to another person what they've just said to you to their satisfaction so you know you're on the same page. You know what I'm hearing you say is, is that what you say? Is that what you really mean? I just want to make sure I'm understanding you. That's all it is, okay? It's not complex. Every, turn to your neighbor and say, you can do this. Go and tell them you can do this, okay? Go and tell them you can do this, okay? It's not complex, okay? It's not really, really, it's not complex. How are relationships built? How do you build friends? I want to give you a secret. Listen closely. You ready? You build friends by being friendly. Got it? Okay. It's not complex, okay? And so we wonder, why don't I have more friends? You're not very friendly, okay? okay? Right? Just get a little more friendly, and you actually might have some friends, okay? Be nice. Ask people questions about themselves instead of talking about yourself all the time. Amen? Okay? You with me? Okay? How was your day? Instead of, oh, this is a horrible day. I can't stand it, but grumbling all the time. That kind of stuff doesn't build relationships. So you improve your skills. I mean, you say, oh, is this, I thought I was coming to church tonight. Is this like a relationship seminar? Yes. Because the Bible is a big relationship book, okay? It's about your relationship with God, and it's about your relationships with one another. Jesus was asked a question. This is not even in my notes. This is free tonight, okay? Jesus was asked a question. What's the most important commandment that God has ever given. You know what his response was? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Relationship, right? So we, we need to make that the top priority. And so I got, I'm, goodness, I got six more of these to go. I got to move on through. Lean into relationships, improve relationship skills. B, you ready for this one? You sure? Ban destructive words in your house. Put a ban on them. Prohibit them. Forbid them. Bar them. We're not going to use these words in our house. I'm not going to use them. You can't control what everybody else says. You can't always control what your husband might say or your wife might say or even what your kids might say, although you certainly should have more control over that than most parents do. That's a side note and a commentary, by the way, okay? (laughs) But you can ban what you say. You can control the words of your mouth. That little thing that wags in the middle of your mouth has the you can actually shut it down. I'll tell you how. You ready for this secret? Shut your mouth. All you have to do, if you shut your mouth, you can't talk, okay? If you have a problem shutting your mouth, they make something called duct tape. It works really well, okay? And so just buy a big old roll of duct tape, and when you feel like I can't control it, then you grab a big old piece of that, just slap it right there. It's going to make your house a lot better, okay? But see, just think for a moment how our houses would improve if we just banned destructive language, all right? The next one, E, encourage regularly. Just begin to encourage people in your household. Let me just encourage you. Encouragement means to inspire with courage and to inspire with spirit and to inspire with confidence, to promote, to advance. These are all words in the dictionary used to describe what it means to encourage other people. And I think in many times in our families, we don't take much time to do any encouragement. We do a lot of discouragement or nothing at all. And we wonder why relationships are not flourishing and why the adversary seems to have a grip in, in our houses because we are, we're not creating the environment by encouragement. Next one, five, are show respect. Show respect for one another. Every human being is worthy of respect. Amen? 
every human being is, that has the mark of the, of, the, of the dignity of God. God is the creation, creator. And so they're worthy of respect. And don't speak disrespectful words and disrespectful looks and disrespectful attitudes toward one another. You can't build a relationship if you're operating in the realm of disrespect. There's not a single person in this room tonight that appreciates being disrespected. Not a single person here that's appreciated. But however... How often do we do that to others, even the small things that we say or do? Disrespect. So show respect. Then A, you ready for this next one? You haven't convinced me? That's all right. We're having fun tonight, all right? Accept personality differences. Boy, that's a tough one, is it not? Well, they're just so different from me. I'm not sure I can get along with them. We're not compatible. Well, let me give you a good word. When you're not compatible, here's a great thing to do. Get compatible. Okay. Learn how to work things out. Learn how to accept differences. One of the greatest things that ever happened in our marriage, my marriage is over the years, learning how to, you know, just because my wife is different from me in certain ways that she would respond to things or deal with things. Uh, early on in our, our marriage, I thought something's wrong with her, but I came later and realized it wasn't her, okay? <laughs> Why did she see it the way I see it? Something's wrong with her, okay? Anybody with me tonight, okay? And I realized, no, I'm wrong, okay? Because I'm expecting her to always be like me. Okay, she's not going to be like me. She's not going to see, she sees things different. She thinks differently. I mean, we have a conversation. Our conversation, I want to go like, what's the bottom line? Let's get to that in the next couple of minutes. Everything will be good. We can get to the bottom. She wants to tell me everything that happened all around her. I can't figure out where in the world she is going, but she's got her plane somewhere in the sky and she knows when she's going to land it and she wants to land it when she wants to land it. Okay, right? Right? Are you with me? Okay. I can't follow the flight path to save my life. I can't follow the flight path. Okay. That's okay. She's flying her plane and she can land it when she wants to land it in the way that she desires. And then we've gotten better. I said, honey, I'll listen to you a lot better if you're good and give me the bottom line first, then we'll be okay. All right. Okay. You just tell me whatever you want to tell me, but just go ahead and get to the bottom line so my mind is at ease. I know where we're going with this. I know if I'm in trouble or not. Okay, I can figure that out from the get-go. Then we kind of have that we can go on from there, right? Okay, right? You with me? Come on, church. Are you with me? Okay. I told you I'm preaching good tonight. Okay, I told you. Okay, preaching good tonight. Okay, get right into the family right here. Okay, talking about your house, right? You think you'd drive the devil out if you learned to accept one another a little better? Right? The Bible teaches this stuff, right? T, this one's a little bit of a, I, I kind of cheated on this one a little bit, so retrain your brain. I guess there's a T in there somewhere, okay? <laughs> what I mean by that is over time, if you're not careful in relationships, you start thinking about another person in a certain way that's not flattering to them or beneficial to them, and so you get into patterns in your thinking that begin to drive your, your emotions. See, what you feel is a function of what you first of all think, Okay? What you think about something is what controls your feelings about these things. And so you have to retrain your brain to think differently about your relationships. And then the last one, we'll conclude here with this one, and that's this. E, exaggerate the positives and minimize the negatives. And you might say, well, pastor, exaggeration, doesn't that mean like lying? No. You're going to, right now, I promise you, if you're having trouble in, a, in any relationship, listen closely, if you're having trouble in any relationship, I promise you you're doing this without realizing. 
you're, you're already exaggerating the negative. You've already made that person worse than they really are. Say it's true. Anytime you're frustrated with somebody, mad at somebody, your mind goes to work exaggerating your frustrations and exaggerating how bad they are and exaggerating all these things. And so all I'm saying is, what if we flip that around? What if we, you know, you're going to exaggerate something, right? Correct? You're going to exaggerate something. You're either going to exaggerate the positives or you're going to exaggerate the negatives. Well, why, why in the world do we have to exaggerate the negatives? We're going to exaggerate something. Why not exaggerate the positives, Okay. Well, what if they're not as good as I'm thinking they are? That's okay. They might rise to the occasion. You never know, okay? okay. But you make the choice of saying, I'm going to view this person from, a, from the vantage point of what's really good about them instead of what's so bad about them. And it's that one little change of exaggerating the positive and minimizing the negative can make a really big difference. What I'm saying to you is this. There's an enemy it's coming after your house. It's called the devil. How do we establish a security system? I promise you, the best security system you'll ever have from the attack of the enemy in your house is how you live in that house. Okay? And when you and I create an atmosphere of peace, an atmosphere of nurturing, an atmosphere of liberation that helps people to experience the love that God has for them. And you and I bring that atmosphere into the home and we become peacemakers in our home. It makes a really big difference. It shuts the works of darkness down in a very significant way. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity we've had this evening to reflect upon your word and reflect upon what it means to build relationships. And I pray, God, that you'll help us to, to really embrace this in our own lives. I pray, God, that you'll help us to realize that we have a lot to do with the environment of our homes and help us to make the changes that are necessary. Lord, these eight things we've just talked about, I pray that they would be more than just information in our head. I pray you'd help us now to, to actually do these things through the power of your Holy Spirit. We trust you for this grace in our lives, this power to live this way, for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation 
Old things pass away, all things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.